Good morning, Chapel. It is so good to be here. I tell you, when I walked in the door, the team was playing, and I made it about right there to that door, and I just had this feeling of, man, you're home again. And so and that's the way I feel here, and you're my family, and we're all one big family here at the chapel, and it's just so good to be here today. Well, Pastor Bobby gave the topic of my message today. It's extraordinary love for people. It's part of the 10 qualities that move you from being just a believer to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Being a believer, all you have to do is say yes to Jesus. Yes, God, I believe that Jesus is your son, that he died on the cross for my sins, that he rose again the third day, and now he's in heaven on your right-hand side, and I accept that. And that makes you a believer, but then there's a next step. We should want to be a follower of Jesus. That's what a disciple is. And so part of this 10-sermon series is mine, this extraordinary love for people. And so our text for today comes from six verses. It comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. The Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18. And 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter and the 13th verse. Can we stand for the reading of God's Word? The Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, you shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, and now abide faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. You may be seated. Father, we just thank you this morning, Father. We just praise you for all of your blessings, Father. We thank you for your word, Father. And now, Father, we pray that you release your revelation of your word, your discernment, that you will use me, use us, Father, for what you have called us to do, Father, that you will teach us, Father, and give us the strength, Father, to teach your word this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. Ten qualities that move us from being a believer to being a disciple of Jesus. A disciple is not only a believer, but he is a follower of Jesus. He tries to abide. That means to stay in the Lord. He tries to follow Jesus' commands, which are in his words, and he tries to live or she tries to live through or by the power of the Holy Spirit. We say extraordinary love for people. 
Extraordinary means unusual, remarkable, exceptional, amazing, incredible, awesome, uh, much more than expected. So what is love? Now, don't fall into the old people who are my age, you know, that secondary emotion that they used to sing about. But what is love? You know, our New Testament was first written in Greek, then translated into English. And in the Greek, there were four words that were translated into our word love. And they each mean represent a different type of love. That's eros, which is sexual desire or lust for someone. That's philia, which is brotherly or sisterly love or friendship. That's storge, which is care for family or family members. Then there's this agape love. This agape love is what we're calling extraordinary love this morning. It is unselfish. It's sacrificial. It's more than just a feeling or a sentiment. It's unconditional. It extends beyond emotions. It is active. It is unmotivated by expectation to receive something in return. It's not contingent on any value or worth. It is spontaneous. It does not try to determine if it is appropriate to show itself in any particular case and is demonstrated through actions. Agape describes God's incomparable care for humankind. It is God outgoing, self-sacrificial concern for lost and fallen people. God gives this type of love to us without condition. It doesn't matter what we look like, what we did, what we used to be. It's just God gives us this love to us. It is undeserving. It's inferior to him. And God demonstrated this love when he created the heaven and the earth. He created man and woman. He gave them the garden to live in. God demonstrated this love when he gave his only son, Jesus, to come down here on earth, take on an earthly body, and be crucified for sins that he didn't commit, but for our sins. That's agape-type love. A simple way to summarize agape love or the extraordinary love that I'm speaking about today is God's perfect, unconditional care of love for us. And you know what? He expects us to have that same type of love for each other. Jesus didn't just talk about that type of love when he was on earth. And remember, we want to be disciples or followers of Jesus. So we have to have this agape type love or extraordinary love. Jesus, he ex made an example of this through his teaching, his healing, the miracles, and the compassion he had. Extraordinary love. It's what we're talking about today. It is an action. It's not just an emotion. Oh, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. No, it is giving somebody something and you don't expect anything in return. It cares about one's welfare as well as one's soul. In our text in the book of the Old Testament, Leviticus, that we read, Moses wrote this. It contains the laws or the commands that God gave the children of Israel and us to follow. Now, they had to follow them to the letter of the law, but they could not. But thank God for Jesus, because now when we mess up and when we disobey one of these commands, we can still be forgiven for this. But it's still good to read the Old Testament because it is a great teacher for us. 
The Old Testament is a teacher for us, even though we are forgiven for our sins. And Leviticus, the 19th chapter, is God teaching them how to love their neighbor, how to love each other. And it says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them to the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Now, that was welfare back then. <laughs> that was welfare. When you farm. When you came to the end of your row, you didn't try to gather everything at the end. You just turned around. Your reapers just turned around. If you dropped something, if a grain fell to the ground, God said, don't pick that up. Why is he saying that? Because the poor people could come and walk behind the harvesters. The poor people would eat because they could get the grain that was left on the end. The poor people were taken care of because they could walk behind the harvesters and pick up what they left. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely. You shall not, and so profane the name of God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hard worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. But you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. And you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is a agape Lord love. This is, it explained. This is extraordinary love that we are to have. It provides for the poor. It is honorable. It respects the name of God. It cares for those who work for us. My dad, I did, my dad used to tell me, he said, look, Wayne, the small guy, pay him when he does his work. I didn't know where he was getting it from. He was saying, pay him. And I always remember that when my dad said, when somebody does work for me, I try to pay them right then. I don't argue with them. Even if I don't think what they're charging me is right, I always remember what my dad said. And now I see where my dad got that from. He got it from the word of God to pay the person when he does it. And it does not take advantage of those who are weak or under us. And it teaches us not to carry a grudge or seek revenge. As a disciple of Jesus, we are to love people as we love ourselves. And this is what Leviticus was teaching them. The book of 1 Corinthians that we came from was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. He was writing this to believers. In chapter 13, we always learned it when I was little as the love chapter. And when I was a little boy in a little group called Crusaders, they made us memorize this. 
And back in my time, there was always this fear of the Soviet Union taking us over. And what the older people would tell us, they would say, learn these scriptures. Learn chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians because if they take our Bibles away, we still have the word. And that's how they rate us. So we thought that it's a love chapter. And it says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noising gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, then shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. He says, love is eternal, but spiritual gifts will fade away. If we don't love, it doesn't matter how well we speak in tongues. It doesn't matter how well we prophesy. It's no matter how much wisdom we can give. It is nothing if we don't love each other. You know, a lot of people don't come to church. And you know what is the biggest reason when you talk to them? They've been hurt by the church. They've been hurt by someone in the church. Someone in the church did not show love, and now this person does not want to come back to church. He says, if you give all of your money, or even if you give your life for your beliefs, and you don't love people, it's all for nothing. If we don't love, that's extra ordinary love, unusual love. Love is greater than faith and hope. Why? Because God is love. Jesus is love. Jesus always showed love to the least, to the poor. The religious people, they knew all of the laws, but you know what? They didn't have God's heart. They didn't know the heart of God because the heart of God is love. The book of John that we read from is the Gospel of John. It was written by one of the 12 apostles, John. John called himself the one who Jesus loved. That's kind of like saying he felt he was Jesus' best friend. He writes about things that Jesus did and words Jesus saying. If you ever see pictures in your mind 
of the Last Supper, as we call it, John would have been sitting next to Jesus. He's always with him. And we talk about Jesus, he talks about going off to pray. There's Peter, James, and John. Well, he wrote this book. In the text we have, John 13, 34 to 35, John is quoting Jesus. Jesus told his disciples, he said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When you come in the front door, do you feel love? If you feel the love, then we're doing what we're supposed to do. If you come in the front door and all you can think about is, do I have on the right clothes? Do I have on the right shoes? We have a problem. I remember when people used to say, can I come to your church? Um, I don't have the right clothes to wear. So you wear what you got on. And then someone said, well, I don't have any good shoes to wear. And I told them, I said, well, to be honest with you, there are some people down front praising. They don't even have shoes on, so you'll be just fine. And that's how we want to be. We want to be disciples who have that extraordinary love. And as a family, a church family, we want to have that love so people will want to come and hear about Jesus. Jesus commands or demands that Christians or believers have this agape, extraordinary love, the same love that he has for us. You know, there's two characteristics as you read through the Bible that disciples of Jesus are known for. And Jesus gives one here. He says, their love for each other. And he commands that. But the other one is the fruit of our lives, which is given to us by the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law because we have the Holy Spirit within us which when we say yes to Jesus, yes, I believe that you're the Son of God. Yes, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. God, please make me your child. Come into my heart and give me eternal life. The Holy Spirit comes into us at that point. The Holy Spirit gives us these things. That's where our patience, our love comes from. It comes from the Holy Spirit within us. You may say, well, he said he's a believer. And I, I know he believes, but I don't feel in love when Wayne starts talking to me. That means I am not listening to the Holy Spirit within me because the Holy Spirit within me tells me to love you, shows me how to love you because we have the Holy Spirit in you. Are you known by these qualities? When you think, see Wayne Stanley, that's me. Do you think of love? Do you think of kindness? Do you think of self-patience? If you don't think of all that, then I have a problem. You don't have a problem. I have a problem. I'm not listening to the Holy Spirit within me. The Holy Spirit comes into our heart and gives this. We have to learn when we're trying to show love, it's not to respond to the situation in front of us. we got to respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit within us. Well, you may be saying, well, I hear two voices. One said, hit him back. <laughs> and the other one said, loves you. And the other one said, well, man, you're going to look like a fake if you don't go on and get him off of your chest. Hey, then the Holy Spirit's going to say, hey, love him. 
I was having a little problem with this other businessman and uh, you know, do a holler back, do a fuss back. <laughs> I would pull into the alley to unlock my gate and he would pull in the other end of the alley and I would have to back back out on the highway. <laughs> or if, if I'm coming in, he'd pull in, he would leave his truck there. You know, the first thing he would say, hey, take a picture of his tag and call the police. Or go down there and tell him to move his truck. Or drive down there and push him out of the way. But then the Holy Spirit said, hey, just turn around. You don't, you've turned around in spaces smaller than this. Just back out. And, and so that's what I did. Listen to the Holy Spirit. But you know, the pride wanted to say what? Man, move your truck. It ain't supposed to be there. But then the Holy Spirit says, that's okay. Just go out the other way. And you know what? I did that. I did that and did that. Then the next day he waited. He said, hey, can I come over and talk to you? And he said, you know, I don't want, this ain't me. That's what he was telling. He said, that's not me. And that's not how I want you to see me as. Now, if, if I didn't listen to the Spirit, we just had a war out there on Chisholm Road, right? But I listened to the Spirit because the Spirit in, in me tells me to love him. Love him anyway. And, that, and so respond to the Spirit and not to the situation that's facing you. Let's look at some example of this extraordinary love because maybe you don't understand what I'm talking about. In the Bible, in 1 Samuel chapters 18 and 20, you read about Jonathan and David. Jonathan is the son of Saul. Saul is the first king. He's the king over Israel. Well, David is a little shepherd boy. He's been anointed to be the next king. He doesn't really have a good understanding of what that means because once he's anointed, he just goes on back to his business taking care of his dad's sheep. But he goes out to visit his brothers who are at war. They're in the army. And there's this giant named Goliath who's taunting the Israelites. And David, who has the spirit of God on him, is wondering why nobody mans up, as we said, boys, man up and knock him out. I mean, that's how, how we men say that, ladies. And so, but everybody's afraid of him. And David, David is not afraid of him because God has given him the strength to kill a bear. So he figured he can take out this guy. He said, who is this up here that's talking like this about the children of God? And so David takes his slingshot and he runs out there and he kills Goliath. Once he kills Goliath, the king Saul wants to know, well, who was that young man? And they bring him to him. And after he and the king had talked, David meets Jonathan, who's King Saul's son. Jonathan falls in love, has this extraordinary love for David. Now, keep in mind, if you're a king, who's the next king? Your son. Now, as we tell the story about this love, we got to think about the king's son, who's supposed to be king, and then we have this other guy, David. And so it says in 1 Samuel 18, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. We see that Jonathan has a love for David. Now, King Saul makes David commander of an army. David goes out to battle. When David comes in from fighting, the, the, the ladies 
are dancing in the streets saying, Saul killed a thousand, but David kills 10,000. And they go out to battle, and David is successful, not because he's so great, but because he's been anointed, and the, and the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. And every time he goes out to battle, he just tears up the other army. And then he comes home, and then the people are praising David. Well, the king gets jealous of David. And because the king disobeyed God, the Spirit of the Lord is moved from the king, and the king has this anger on him. And so he really gets angry. And so, but Jonathan, his son, loves David. He loves him as his own soul. They are best of friends. But it's different from a best of friends. And so Saul tells Jonathan, look, Jonathan, if David lives, you will never have a kingdom. He's telling Jonathan, if David lives, you're not going to be king when I'm out of here. Think about that. But Jonathan still loves David. And so Saul tells his commanders and Jonathan to assassinate or kill David. But Jonathan loves David, and he helps David to escape. Now, how many of you would give up being king <laughs> for a friend who you love? That's extraordinary love. And when Saul plans to kill David, Jonathan begs him not to, and Jonathan warns David so that David can escape. That is extraordinary love. Then there's Ruth and Naomi. The book of Ruth explains how a non-Jew, a Gentile, is in the lineage of Jesus. Ruth is an ancestor of Jesus, even though she's not a Jew. And that's what the book of Ruth explains to you. In the book of Ruth, it starts out about a man named Abimelech, who is a Jew who leaves Bethlehem to go to Moab because there's a famine in the land. He takes his wife and his two sons. And while there, his sons marry Moabite ladies, Ruth and Oprah. Well, the man dies, and 10 years later, his sons die. Back then, if you were a woman, you couldn't inherit what your husband had. You couldn't own that land. You didn't work, but inside of the house. So if you didn't have sons, you're going to be poor. You remember in Leviticus where we read about God says, when you harvest your land, do not harvest the ends of the fields. If you drop grain, do not pick it up. Well, that's how the poor people will live. And so when her husband dies and her son dies, she's poor. Then she hears that the famine that they left Bethlehem before is over. So she tells her daughter-in-laws, well, let's go back to Bethlehem. But then she tells her daughter-in-laws, look, go back to your mother's house, to your father's house, where you can be taken care of. If you go with me, I can't have another son to take care of you. And so one daughter-in-law leaves, but Ruth will not leave Naomi. She says, no, I'm going with you. Naomi is poor now. She's old. She has nothing. Your God will be your God. Your people will be my people, but I am not leaving you. She loves Naomi this much to not go back to her parents' house, but to take on poverty. She's going to be poor. And so they go back. And when they get there, again, they need something to eat. 
So Ruth does what? She does what the other poor people does. For them to survive, she goes to the field. Now that's true love. If she goes back to her father's house, she has somebody to take care of her. If she stays with Naomi, she's poor. She's got to go to the field. Now y'all know nothing about going to the field. Nobody in here has picked cotton who's younger than me. Nobody in here has chopped cotton. Nobody's taken a sickle and what? Cut grain. Let me tell you, it is not easy work. I came up at the end of that era, and I was so glad I was at the end of that era. I did not have to, I chopped cotton for a few years, but it is not easy work, but she had to do this to survive. And so she picks a field, and she goes in it, and it just so happened, and somebody would say, ain't that God? She picks a field that is owned by one of her father-in-law's relatives. And so she goes out there, and she picks grain, and he allows her to pick grain. And you can go back and read the story in Ruth, but the part of it that's important is that Ruth met Boaz, who owned the field, and she marries Boaz. So now you got to go read the in-between, right? All right. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. You may... And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Ruth had extraordinary love for her mother-in-law. Then there's the paralytic. Jesus tells a story in Luke 5, 17 about a man who's paralyzed. But, and, and what we see is Jesus is in this house and he's healing. The spirit of the Lord has come upon him and he's healing people. And so these friends bring their friend who's paralyzed on a stretcher to Jesus to heal him. Now think about these guys, four of you, got somebody and you're taking them to the house and it's crowded you can't get in. What's most of us going to say? Oh, man. We'll wait till the next time he's in. We, we just can't get in there. No, these friends carried him to the roof of the house. Can you imagine carrying somebody who can't walk on a stretcher up some steps to the roof of a house? And they get to the roof of the house, and the way the houses are built back then, you could easily take the tiles off the roof. They take the tiles off the roof and let him down into the room so that Jesus can heal him. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Take up your bed and walk. But it's their faith. It's their love for their friends. See, that's extraordinary love. That's agape love. They want the extra. Most of us would have said, mm, room's full. We're catching the next house. To take him up to the roof? No. Man, that's heavy. You're too heavy, man. You can't move. You can't help. You can't do anything. And then they tear up the house, the roof. Man, that's love for somebody. Then they let him down in there so he can be healed. That's extraordinary love. And then there's a good Samaritan. Jesus tells this story of a man who is a Jew who is walking and he's robbed and he's beaten and he's bleeding and he's left on the side of the road. A priest came by, good church preacher. He saw him. He walked to the other side of the road. See, if he gets blood on him, he can't go into the temple. Or we may say, if he gets dirty, I got to preach. I can't stand up there and have blood on him. Then a Levite comes in, 
kind of like us elders, the others. He sees the man. He walks to the other side. He does not help the man. Because if he touches the man, gets blood on him, he can't go into the church. See, that was the rules back then. It was more important about going to the temple than what? Showing your love. But then comes a Samaritan. The Samaritans were what we would say today were mixed people. One of their parents was Jew, but the other parents were not a Jew. The Jews, which is the man laying on the road, they actually hate the Samaritans. As a matter of fact, if they're going somewhere and the shortest route is through Samaria, they'll still go around because they think they are so much better than these people and they hate these people rather than take the shortest route and walk through. So this man is a Samaritan. On the ground, beaten and bleeding, is a Jewish man who does not like him, who hates him because of his birth. He stops and helps the man. He puts wine on his wound. He picks him up, put him on his animal, takes him to the town, and at the end, he tells the innkeeper, here's some money. You take care of him, and if he uses up more than this, I will pay you when he returns. Now, that's extraordinary love. You got somebody laying down there who you know don't like you, but the Spirit of the Lord tells you to do what? To help them. That's extraordinary love. And then the greatest example of extraordinary love is Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. I don't know about you, but I, I'm, I'm not worried that somebody died on the cross. So maybe you are. <laughs> but Jesus didn't matter to him. He died for all of us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 1 John 3.16, By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Extraordinary love is active. Well, how do we get this extraordinary love for people, we only can have it when the Holy Spirit dwells within us and the, we listen to the Holy Spirit as it tells us day to day what to do. When you accept Jesus, your personal Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. Well, how do we keep this extraordinary love? I don't know about you, but when I'm tired, that may not be a whole lot of love to somebody that hadn't been you know, treating me right. Well, how can I love them then? That's when the Holy Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit within you gives you strength to keep on loving. Jesus says, the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. To abide means to stay or remain. It means we share everything with Jesus. It means we confess all our sins. It means we bring Christ into everything we do. We bring Jesus into everything we do. That's how we keep this extraordinary love. When Jesus interacted with people, he demonstrated God's love. So what does it mean to love like Jesus? It means we don't look the other way when people are hurting. We don't just stand back and condemn those who are sinning. We get to know them, get to know them first, then we tell them the truth. We don't just tolerate those who view things different from us. We explain the truth with kindness and not condemnation. We dig deep to love those who are hard to love like you and me. Love is an indication 
of being a follower or a disciple of Jesus, more so than church attendance, Bible study, spiritual gifts, or volunteering. If you don't have love, you're not showing that extraordinary love. You're not being like Jesus. The others say when they see us that I know Wayne is a Christian. How you know? Man, he, he just has so much love. Can somebody say that about me? I don't know. Can someone say that about you? Do others say we know the chapel is full of disciples because when I walk in there, there is love. Can I say that about the chapel? Well, let's wrap it up. There are four things extraordinary love for people call us to do. We love the least. In one of his last messages, Jesus said, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. No, it's easy to give a few dollars to charity, but caring for them is a whole different story. We have to connect with them even if they're in a situation because of what they've done. The second is we have to love the law. So religious leader asked Jesus, what was the single most important commandment in all the Old Testament? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Summing up everything in the scripture says, love God, love people. Extraordinary love for people. Is our faith just window dressing? Are we compassionate about the things God is compassionate about? God is compassionate about people. Do we just hate homosexuals and hate people who have abortion? Or do we hate homosexuality and abortion? You notice the difference? You don't hate the people. God loves everybody. He even loves you and me for what we did in spite of ourselves. But we what? We love the loss. We hate the act, but we love the loss. Because we know that once we are born again, with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can change any desire, any habit that does not align with what God wants for our life. We can change any desire, any habit that's not, that does not align with what God has for our life with the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And third is we love across color bearers. Loving white, brown, black, just loving people of all colors. 
reading the Bible, we see that God loves everyone. On the day of Pentecost, it says that they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues, and the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. From the beginning, when the Holy Spirit came, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came down. It broke down culture and culture barriers right there on the day of Pentecost. Now, why do we want to erect them again? Isn't that amazing? Why do we want to erect something God tore down? Why are we allowing this? We have to, to move from being a believer or a follower or disciple of Christ. We have to, to demonstrate extraordinary love for people. But to value everybody. We have to go out of our way to connect with people different from us. We have to give up our rights and comfort to pursue a higher order of unity. We seek to understand rather than to be understood. We desire to love people no matter how they treat us. And number four, extraordinary love causes us to love our enemies. Jesus said, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them with despiteful use and persecute. Who are your enemies? Who are our enemies? Sometimes they are family members who abused us or abandoned us. Sometimes they are friends who let us down. Sometimes they are our bosses who mistreated us and fired us when we shouldn't have been. Sometimes they are co-workers. Sometimes they are people with different political views than us. Sometimes there are people of a different race or color. Loving our enemies doesn't mean you got to expose yourself to harm. It does not mean we have to trust everybody. It means we want the best for everybody. We do not wish any harm or look for ways to repay. We have to dig deep to find forgiveness for people. Romans 12, 17, recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, said the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what extraordinary love does. If we are followers of these and disciples of Jesus, we have to ask the Spirit of God to supernaturally produce in us this kind of love. If you want this love and you don't have it, First of all, if you have not accepted Jesus as your Savior, that's the first step in getting this extraordinary love. If there is someone out there who's sitting out there, who's listening, who does not have Jesus in your life and is ready to have Jesus in your life, just raise your hand. That's the first step. Just say, I need Jesus. And if you don't want to raise your hand, that's okay because God sees your heart. I don't have to see you. Just pray this prayer with me. Lord, I am sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Forgive me. I believe that Jesus is your son and he died on the cross for my sin. Come into my heart. Give me eternal life and make me your child. 
If you prayed that for the first time today, before you leave, stop by the Welcome Center and say, I prayed that prayer for Jesus to come into my heart and give me eternal life and make me a child of God. Maybe there's someone in your life who you just can't quite forgive. <laughs> you just don't understand, Brother Stanley, what they said or what they did. I just can't forgive them. You, you got to give them, okay? You, you got to love them. And if you can think of their name, pray this prayer with me. So, Father, help me to forgive. Father, I forgive them and release them. In Jesus' name, I ask. You know what happens then? Man, you get a, a clean heart. You can really praise God. You just got some weight off of you once you forgave them. And you can just have all this love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all your blessings. We thank you most of all for Jesus who died for our sins. Perfect and complete your love in us. Help us to live your love, to be patient and kind, Father, never envious, not boastful. Help us to forgive those who have done evil to us. Give us a clean heart so that we may serve you. Help us to love you, God, and love your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Love God, love people. Amen. Amen.